21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. If you want to understand your customers, if you want to understand, you know, why they why they do what they do, why they buy from you, why they don't buy from you, um, how much money they would pay for your products. If you want to understand any of those things, um, you can't just ask them because they don't know. So fundamentally, the, a lot of that is explained by their unconscious, their unconscious mind. Um, we can uh, we can find that out by using the, the tools of behavioral science, behavioral economics. Uh, this is you know this is kind of our, our field and my expertise. Um, and so there are ways to answer those questions, uh, but you need to really work out how to dig in to that unconscious level of uh, the customer's minds. And if you just do a survey or if you just do like a focus group or traditional ways of doing market research, you're not going to get the real true answers. And this is actually why, you know, there's a few famous entrepreneurs who supposedly really didn't trust market research. You know, anyone from Henry Ford who you know, no one knows if he really said it, but they say that Henry Ford said, "If I asked my customers what they want, they what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Give me a faster horse instead of giving me like a car." And Steve Jobs um, supposedly also really didn't think you could ask customers what they wanted. He had to, you know, you had to give them an iPhone or whatever you invented, and only once they had it would they know whether they would, uh, whether they would want it. Um, and so these, these famous uh, people supposedly didn't really trust market research, but I think that's because they only were familiar with the old style of market research where you just ask the question and you expect to get a true answer. But uh, if you get into the unconscious mind and you explore those hidden unconscious stories that people tell themselves and how they really see the world, that's when you can get the real answer. In what context should we work on our minimum valuable product? If not asking customers for feedback or asking customers for feedback when we already have minimum valuable product is a good direction. If you want to build your MVP, you need to, you do need to understand what customers need, what do customers want, um, but those are actually really, um, those are quite fundamental questions. So you are, you want to understand your customers' lives. You want to understand where are the pains, where are the problems that they confront? What do they really want, but they can't get? And so you can ask them, uh, for example, you can ask them to tell you a story about the problems they're having in life. Ask them to tell you the frustrations. Tell, tell a story about what is it when you go to work every day, what makes you unhappy? Um, or in your life, in your, in your home life, what is it that you really want but you can't find? Um, tell me a story about that. You can get your customers to tell you a story, but you don't get them to tell you 
the solution. You don't get them to tell you what product do you want to buy because that's what the customer doesn't know. If you get the customer's needs and their pains and their deep frustrations and desires, if you understand that, then you can work out the product. You can design the product based on understanding those pains and those problems. Um, and so that's really the, uh, uh, if you if you encourage them to tell you a story about something that's unhappy in their life, then uh, it becomes your job to interpret that and to help build a solution that will make them happy. Can you please help us with questions? So what kind of question uh, do we need to use? Open questions, closed questions? Is there any any kind of manipulation? What's the... Uh, is there any influence of, of our own perception Absolutely. and experience of perception and the feedback loop that we have between experience and expression? Yeah. If we, if you can go into that direction, please. Yeah. So one of the, one of the techniques that I think is really powerful is uh, start by telling a story of your own. So if you're, if you're in front of a customer, now, this could be online. You could be designing like an online survey or it could be face-to-face, -face, could be a Zoom call like we're having now. So tell the customer your own story. Tell the customer. So when I go to work, uh, one of the things that frustrates me is X. One of the things that um, I really struggle with is, for example, like recruiting talented people or managing my time or something and tell a story about how it happens. So tell about the tell them about the, uh, you know, I hired this person and they were really great, but um, here's why it didn't work or here's what um, they couldn't do or here's what, you know, here's how I failed in managing them. Did anything like that ever happen to you? Did you ever have a similar problem? Did you have a, a struggle uh, in managing people in your work or did you have uh, a problem with your health and fitness? So, you know, it depends what your what area your your product is in. Um, but tell a story that gives them permission to tell their own story uh, because it creates a bit of a bit of space, a bit of rapport, a bit of um, empathy. Um, they hopefully understood what you said in your story and they feel, well, now it's my turn to reciprocate and tell you uh, a story back. And so you always haven't had to ask a question um, because if you ask a question, then people start to try to rationalize. They start to try and impose logic, but you don't really want logic. What you want is someone to reveal their emotions and their pains. Uh, and to do that, if you give them some of your own emotion, then it will create the, the space and the expectation that they will give it back. Is there any kind of uh, uh, feedback loop involved? So one and a half circle or, uh, I mean, is there any kind of synchronization between your understanding and, and, and their story? I think you can um, ask them to, you can probe, you can ask them for more detail. So you, let's say they tell you a story, you can say, oh, so why did, um, why, why did that, why was that so frustrating? Uh, tell me of the emotion you felt in this, at this moment or the, in this time. And uh, tell me, um, do other people in your, in your work share that same emotion? Do they have the same frustration? Or maybe other people seem to have this problem solved and you can't solve it. So is that 
what what do you see when you look at those people? Um, so you can probe, you can definitely develop the story and go into more detail to understand more depth. I don't know if um, it needs to be a loop, a formalized feedback loop, but um, if you uh, if you find an area where you think there's more hiding behind this sentence that they've said, then ask them uh, to expand more. Anyway, what the behavioral economics actually is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so behavioral economics, it, it has a couple of names. You hear people say behavioral science, behavioral economics. Sometimes they say consumer psychology, or they might say decision making. There's a, in, in the academic field, it's sometimes called judgment and decision making. All of these are ways to talk about how do people make choices and what are the uh, hidden, um, deeper factors and variables that influence those choices. And very often this is um, seen or it's thought of in the context of people being irrational. So sometimes people say, uh, will ask, well, are we irrational? Are we rational or irrational? Do we know what we're doing or are we making mistakes? So there's a big debate in uh, the field of psychology about is it fair to say that people make mistakes? Um, because maybe, they, maybe they're not making mistakes. Maybe they are just taking and making the best decision that they can in the under the constraints and limitations that they have. So very often um, we are trying to make a decision quickly um, we don't have the full information. Uh, it would be difficult or expensive or time consuming to get the full information. And even then, if I had all the information, maybe I still couldn't find the right answer because sometimes the answers we're trying to find are really, really indeterminate. They're really complex and they're really subtle. So in the absence of perfect information and perfect uh, calculating power, um, we use shortcuts. We use what's uh, they're called heuristics sometimes. This uh, these shortcuts, these mental shortcuts, and these shortcuts are tools that we have learned either in our own life or even uh, they've been given to us by evolution. Tools that are very very useful. So here's a, a great example of a tool that is very useful: is if you have a lot of options to choose from. Um, don't choose the one that's the most extreme on that end or on this end. Go for something that's more in the middle because it's more it's more average, it's less risky. Um, probably um, it's uh, um, it's a good balance between the different options I have, and so choosing something in the middle is a good heuristic or a good shortcut. And so here's where that might might happen. If imagine that you're buying a piece of software and the software comes in three versions. Bronze, silver, gold. Well, the bronze one, you might think that's probably the cheap version. It's too basic. Maybe it doesn't do what I need. The gold version is probably the expensive one. Maybe it's for big companies. Maybe it's um, too much over-engineered. Um, so the silver in the middle, that's probably good for me. That's the, the way that people might think. It could be the same with a bottle of wine. If you're in a restaurant and you don't, you're not sure about the wine, it, you probably don't want the really cheapest one and you don't want to spend the really fancy one. So you might get the, the one in the middle. There's a great uh, Simpsons 
episode that I sometimes use in a um, in, in a presentations. Uh, Homer and Marge are out for dinner, and Homer calls over the waiter and he says, "Garçon." Give me a bottle of your second cheapest champagne. And uh, it's classic Homer Simpson because, uh, you know, he intuitively knows what we all know, that the cheapest one is probably, well, it's a bit embarrassing to buy the cheapest one. It doesn't look good when you're on a romantic dinner, but the most expensive one is probably way overpriced. And anyway, Homer, like most of us, he can't afford it. So he picks the the second cheapest. Um, Another heuristic is follow the herd, follow the pack. So if... I know that, let's say I'm out in a new town that I am not familiar with and I'm looking for a restaurant to eat dinner. Am I going to go to the restaurant that's empty where no one else is there? No, it's probably no good. But if I find a restaurant where three quarters of the tables are are full, people are looking happy, I can rely on them. They already did the work for me. They they, um, invested their time. Maybe they're local and they're from this town, so they have experience. I can follow their example. And so this uh, uh, heuristic of follow the herd or social proof, social conformity, these are the other names. These are examples of good shortcuts uh, that I can take. So behavioral economics tells us what are the shortcuts that people follow. It can also tell us sometimes when the shortcuts um, are uh, are wrong, or they can lead us down the wrong path. So in the case of the gold, silver, bronze, well, companies know, every company now knows that I can give you three options and you're going to pick the middle one. So sometimes the companies will deliberately add on a few extra dollars, a few extra pounds to the middle option, uh, and so they're, they're charging more because they know that we will go for the one in the middle. So you can behavioral economics can tell us when the heuristics are useful, but also when they could lead us down the wrong path. And it, it gets into a bit of game theory where you know the companies are trying to analyze our behavior and we're trying to think, well, do they know what I'm going to do? Are they already giving me three options because they want me to pick a certain one? So um, it tells us a lot about um, when we are making the right choice and when we need to look again. You're the mathematician as well. So is the game theory the bridge between mathematics and uh, economy or what's what's the what's the combination yeah i mean game theory is is part of economics game theory okay is um a, a tool that's used in economics for what's called strategic thinking so if uh, i have another person or another company that i'm um trying to make a deal with then i have my interests and they have their interests. So everybody, you know, each one has their own desires and their own interests, and each one wants to get the best deal. Um, and so game theory helps me to analyze what is the other person thinking? What do they know about me? What do I know about them? Do do they know that I know that what they know? Uh, you, you have all these levels. And so game theory helps you to do this analysis of the other person's motivations, the inf- what information the other person has, what are my own motivations? What information do I have? And you can try to work out how to get the best deal in a given situation. So mathematics has a lot, there's a lot more mathematics other than just game theory. There's mathematics about things like um, price elasticity. So if I'm selling a product, 
if I cut the price by 10%, will I sell 20% more products? Uh, if so, then I probably should do it. I should cut the price. But on the other hand, if I increase the price by 10% and I only sell 2% less, then I'm going to make a lot more money. So mathematics tells me things like the, the price elasticity uh, and whether I should increase or decrease my prices or indeed should I split into two different products and sell them at different prices so I then capture both parts of the market. We worked with a global uh, snack and beverage company. Um, I probably shouldn't say who they are, but you have heard of them. They're one of the famous ones. And they had a really interesting challenge, which is they were having to, they were selling a lot of their products on discount. So they worked with uh, big supermarkets, grocery stores, and um, they knew that when they uh, sell their snacks, usually, for example, they're £2 and they uh, cut the price to £1, everybody buys a snack. It's half price. It's a big sign is sitting next to the product saying this is on promotion. It's half price or it's buy one, get one free, something like that. So everyone knew that uh, every so often uh, the, pr the product would go on sale and they would uh, buy it when it was on sale. But then when they sell the product at the, the full price, nobody buys it. Everyone knows that next month it's going to be on sale again. So nobody is buying the, the product. And this, uh, they, they had this, this ongoing challenge of uh, selling, they, they sold something like 80% of the products when they were on discount and only 20% at full price. Um, this then ran into the um, headlong into the pandemic. So in the right at the beginning of pandemic, uh, people were really busy stocking up. They wanted to buy more products. So actually, at that, that was the one time that they didn't have to sell uh, things on discount because there was queues out of the door of the grocery stores. Everyone wanted to buy stuff and they couldn't get it. So um, it was the one time that they could sell everything on full price. So they said to us, can we use this can we use this opportunity um, to reset people's expectations about price? So everyone has been trained for years to only look out for the discounts, but maybe we can change the psychology of the consumer. Maybe we can say to the consumer, okay, it's a new era. Um, things are not going to be on discount anymore, but we'll give you a deal in a new way. So they said to us, can we find uh, new ways to give people uh, a good deal to make sure they know that they feel they're getting a good deal. They have those same emotions uh, that they get because getting a good deal is not just about saving money. It's also about feeling good. It's also about, oh, wow, I got this product for a, a good price or I got something extra. You have an emotional payoff as well as a financial payoff. So, they said to us, how can we give people this emotional payoff without giving uh, such a big discount? So they said to us, how can we give people this emotional payoff without having to cut the price? Uh, so we started to explore different uh, ways of using these heuristics, different ways of uh, understanding the consumer decision making. 
One of them, for example, was to say, uh, if we give you a, a deal that's only available for one week, does that feel good? Does it feel like, oh, it's urgent, I better get it, I better buy it now before it runs out? Another way is to say, let's say we are giving a discount. So let's say it was £2, it's going to be £1.50. Now, should we say uh, discount 50 pence, 50p? Or should we say discount 25% off? Or should we say discount one quarter less? Or should we say uh, buy three, get one free? All of these are the same amount of discount. They're all the same thing, but they're expressed in very different ways. So they wanted to understand which of these ways of communicating a discount creates the best feelings for the consumer, makes them happier, gives them a good feeling, makes them feel like they've got a great deal. And so we created a simulated uh, supermarket online. Uh, we had people, we had 3,000 people, and they went to this supermarket online. We, uh, they went and did like a virtual shopping trip. And uh, they had their budget. They went into the park, their car in the car park. They went through the door. They walked through the shelves and they find the snacks. And then they have a display with 200 different kinds of snacks, different flavors, different prices, different sizes, different uh, brands. And they chose the ones that were most um, interesting to them or that they that they liked the best. And they thought they were getting the best deal and the best snack. And so we could look at the data from those 3,000 people. They each made about 50 choices. So we had something like 150,000 different pieces of data. And we could crunch that and see which uh, different discounts are most effective, which different types of promotion. Um, also, not, not just price promotions, but also things like, do we can we say on the pack, this is a recycled pack, it's more sustainable, or this is a new flavor, or this is a limited product that's only available for for one month. All of those different uh, types of uh, types of promotion and types of deal, and uh, we analyzed that and we found which ones are the most powerful uh, for driving um, driving people to choose the products. And so the in the end, the um, customer was able to uh, use these these different pieces of data, set their strategy, negotiate their strategy with the grocery stores, and. Uh, in the in the the following year after that uh after we did that work the revenue of this uh company increased by 17%. Now of course it wasn't just from us they had lots of other research going on and lots of other clever people but uh we we helped to make a contribution to uh a, a big revenue increase in a global company that was already making billions of dollars. How do you experience life around you? People, are you a happy person? And where <laughs> yeah. are you and your company in five years? I say I'm an optimistic person. I have, I'm always a believer in humanity and I know that there are challenges and problems and injustices in the world, but I also believe that as human beings, we are more likely to see ourselves and see society on, on the right side of history. We're likely to make things better more often than we make things worse. And so I, I do think I'm a happy person in my daily life. I'm more likely to uh, see the good and see the hope in the world rather than seeing the despair. I um, my, my kind of basic way of seeing the world is... A sort of mathematical way. So I have this uh, 
philosophy that everything can be analyzed in some way. You can always see uh, a model. You can always see an explanation under the surface of why things are happening, even when things seem mysterious or crazy, or you just cannot at first understand why the world looks that way. Uh, I think there's always a way to dig deeper to get that understanding. And I, in my early life, you know, when I was a kid, I was always thinking in numbers. I was always thinking in mathematical patterns. I went to university actually at an early age of 14 to study mathematics. And then I first had this rational scientific way of seeing the world. But after I left university, I started a business and I ran into this, um, I ran into this wall, which was the wall of people didn't behave in the according to the rules. So I I had, you know, I was trained in economics in the rational way of doing economics of trying people should maximize their utility. They should, um, you know, do the thing that is in their own interest. And soon enough, I found that they weren't. And I was trying to sell products and services to people and they were not behaving in the way that I predicted. So I had to figure it out. I had to say, what is it that is really going on here? People are not following these rational, logical rules. I must understand why. And so I went and taught myself about psychology, about behavioral economics. And um, I still have this mathematical mind. So I still apply that same philosophy that everything can be understood. Everything we can analyze, we can figure out the answer. So there is always an answer. But the answer is not always obvious. The answer is not necessarily the first one, the logical one. Um, and so you need to you need to listen. You need to be empathetic. You need to, if somebody, even even if there's somebody that you that you hate or you you really disagree with their viewpoint, try to project yourself to say, well, why might they believe that? Why might they have that weird view that I think is wrong or I think is is terrible? Um, it, you don't have to agree with it. You don't have to accept or believe it, but you can put yourself in their position, look through their eyes and see what happened to them, what led to that person seeing the world in this way or thinking in that way that I find repugnant. And uh, maybe if you can do that, you can start to work out how to change their minds or you can start to work out, well, uh, how can we make the world a better place by doing that analysis and understanding things from every point of view. So that's kind of what makes me tick and that when I want to understand people, yes, it's in the commercial world most of the time. Uh, that's what is my my business and my daily income. Um, but using those same tools of understanding to understand uh, really everyone in the world and why they believe what they believe uh, and how we can uh, help that to, to be better and help people to, um, to see the good in each other and not the bad. Uh, that's what uh, really motivates me and inspires me. Lee in five years. In five years, okay. In five years, I would like to have uh, written um, my next book, uh, which will be about narrative economics and how we can use stories and narratives to understand the world. Um, the uh, Rational Agency will be uh, growing and selling its um, uh, selling our data actually, because we'll we're we're aiming to uh, go beyond just solving problems for individual clients to collecting data about the world. And we want to uh, offer that data out for people to subscribe so that they can uh, tap into that resource and uh, and do better. So I will 
uh, I'll be still working on that. Um, I, my book will hopefully be out there. I'm hoping that uh, some of the uh, scientific papers I'm writing in economics and psychology will be published and will start to make an impact on those disciplines and those scientific disciplines. And uh, then in, uh, yeah, in my personal life, well, I, I, won't, I don't need to go into that maybe, but I uh, have uh, uh, I, my family and my uh, are doing are doing well, and I, I hope that that um, I will continue to have a, a great family life as well, and uh, that'll be a, another place for me to. Uh, maybe help to make the world a better place. So my company is uh, called Irrational Agency. Uh, I told you about this debate about are people irrational or are they just taking good shortcuts? So we kind of play with that. I wouldn't, I don't insult our customers by saying that they're irrational, but we are we are all exploring our own biases and our own little quirks inside our own mind. So we are uh, uh, we do market research for lots of companies uh, around the world, and it's all about getting into the unconscious part of the customer's mind, getting to those hidden stories, those unconscious desires, the uh, behavioral heuristics and quirks and biases that people have, and helping uh, our clients to understand their customers better and to give their customers that good emotion that they want from buying their products. And of course, it's also about making more money because the clients, if the clients understand their customers better, they'll sell more products, they'll be able to charge higher prices. But uh, ultimately, it's also about making sure that the consumers of these products have a good experience of the world and they have a good experience of the products they're buying. If you can understand your customers better, then you're going to be able to give them a better experience, better products, and everybody wins. Um, so we uh, um, we we work with companies from you know like snacking companies to finance to media to uh, any kind of company really healthcare uh, who wants to just uh, understand their customers better and give them uh, a better deal and you can find us at uh, irrationalagency.com feel free to look me up on LinkedIn as well if you're if you like I'm always happy to chat about behavioral economics and uh, hear your questions and uh, share some experiences so I'm uh, Lee Caldwell uh, you can find me on LinkedIn and uh, on Twitter as at Lee Blue if Twitter is still exists by the time you uh, the podcast comes out who knows uh, but uh, yeah talk to me uh, on any of these channels and uh, I'd love to chat I'd love to hear from your listeners. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik.